0: How big is the current team working on Restate?
1: So we're, we're still a fairly, a fairly compact team um, because we're iterating a lot on the, like on the fun on the foundation still, um, which I think works great in a small team.
0: What is durable async await? Where would I sort of use it in my application?
1: It's actually a very, it's kind of very, very broad and general, but powerful, um powerful, powerful programming paradigm. Like the idea of, of Restate and and the and um durable async await is that you. You add durability around certain types of operations, be that you know RPC calls between services, uh, external API calls, um, you know, timed waiting, background background work, and so on. By by adding durability around these uh, around these operations, it actually make it very easy to to recover um, to recover from from failure. So, kind of eliminate a lot of the the issues you have to deal with in distributed systems.
0: Like, are people moving more towards hey, I just want to manage service that that does this for me? Um, even if I like if I have that safety of open source, but like most of the time I want that managed service. Have you seen a big change over the last, you know, since I think 09 you're working on Flink? Or what what does that sort of market look like? Yeah, it's that that's actually a good question. Hey folks, this is Alex. Today's guest is Steven Ewan, one of the founders of Restate. Restate is a durable async await framework type system, right? So if you have some sort of workflow or process you need to do that needs to call a bunch of services, maybe add retries and error handling and rollbacks and all that sort of thing. Uh, Restate helps you do that in your programming language of choice. So TypeScript, Java, something like that, rather than using something like step functions, you know, where you're sort of mixing between your Lambda functions, but also like the, the step functions DSL. So I thought this was a really great episode on on sort of what problems it solves, how it works, some of the distributed system stuff behind restate. That was that was really interesting. Uh, If you recognize Steven's name, he was one of the creators of Apache Flink, right? So this stream processing framework uh, that really took off with the rise of of Apache Kafka. And, you know, he worked on that 10 or 12 years, saw some really cool things, and and now he's been working on Restate for the last two years. So really cool distributed system stuff we talked about here. Uh, As always, if you have any comments, questions, guests, you want to see anything like that, feel free to reach out to me or Sean Faulkner with any of that. Uh, And with that, let's get to the show. Steven, welcome to the show. Hey, hi Alex. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here because um, you're kind of a distributed systems, I don't know, legend, or at least someone I I know and look up to in the area, like based on on previous work you've done with Flink and now have a new exciting project, Restate, that we're gonna talk about a lot today. Uh, For people that don't know, you can give a little background on on you and what you're working on lately.
1: Yeah, of course, thanks for having me and thank thank you for the kind words. Um, Yeah, so, um, I think most of my, my professional life, I've been working um, on, on what became and now is Apache a Flink. Um, I started actually out as a database person originally, like working on, on, on database like query execution, query optimizers and so on. Um, after I, I, I graduated, we took sort of a, a lot of the academic um, work that I, that I worked on, started an open source project, Stratosphere, became Apache Flink. And, um, yeah, and, and, grew into, yeah, what is now Apache Flink. So, um, with, the like after a few detours, like, you know, that, that happens in, like, startup and open source land, we sort of settled on stream processing, unified batch on stream processing. And that's, that's what we, that's what we did there. That's where I spent most of my, um, so my professional life before, um, 2021, which is when I sort of phased out from, from the work on, on, on Apache Flink and stream processing. And we slowly looked at, um, at the sort of like first experimental steps um, of what now is restate, I think what we're gonna talk about today. So um previously working mostly on like event stream processing for analytics and and and, and restate, interestingly is almost like the complementary part of link in my, in my mind. It's like event streaming a little bit for tra- transactions. At least that's how it works underneath the hood. It's not how I guess we think about it in the end, but that's at least where it comes from and how it's how it's built.
0: Yep, absolutely. And, and I'm sure like Flink was like a really exciting time where like a lot of stuff was moving to streaming with the rise of of Kafka. And then like, how do we process those? And especially like in more complex ways and, and Flink did a lot with that, I guess, like what was, how, how did you get interested in, in this space, like more sort of durable async await or, or whatever you want to call that? Like, how did you get the idea for restate based on, and was it based on your work with Frank? Was it, was it something else? How did that come up?
1: Yeah, it, I think it's kind of two things that, that, that came together. I mean, on, on the one hand, a little bit just the frustration in general at the state of, of the art when it comes to just building reliable APIs, like reliable distributed applications. But at the same time, also seeing, uh, like we're not the only ones with that frustration. We actually saw in the Flink community, a bunch of folks that were somewhat like abusing Flink to build reliable event-driven applications for more like transactional style applications. And that's really not what Flink is built for. You can kind of like make it do a bit of that work because it has a very like high consistency model internally that you can try to sort of like then connect other systems and make it kind of coordinate to do the transactions. But it's, it's not its not actually great. It's a little bit like trying to abuse your OLAP database or transaction processing. But it kind of showed us that Apparently, there's nothing really there, so folks are turning to these kind of solutions that they're using systems not built for this for these type of problems. And, and when we said, like, okay, we're, we have a, we have issues with these problems, other folks are abusing our analytical technology for transactional processing because they seem to have these problems. Maybe there's something there, and we should start looking
0: at that. Yeah, absolutely. So, to, you know, for those that aren't sort of aware of, of this space, and restate, what is it? what is durable async away? Where would I sort of use it in my application?
1: Right, so it's it's actually a very it's kind of very very broad and general but powerful um, powerful powerful programming paradigm. Like the idea of of restate and and the and um globalizing the way it is, that you you add durability around certain types of operations. Be that you know RPC calls between services, uh, external API calls, um, you know at timed waiting background background work and so on by, by adding durability around these uh, around these operations it actually make it very easy to to recover um, to recover from from failure so kind of eliminate a lot of the, the issues you have to deal with in distributed systems like how do you how do you figure out if for example you're updating different systems you want to keep them in sync and some stuff has happened but the other not and you have to kind of figure out what what went through what didn't how do you how do you make sure you you don't re-execute the previous parts, but you always make sure, it, and eventually also execute the parts that didn't initially go through and so on. So you get a sort of consistent view in the end. It helps with all sorts of, of those problems. Um, so anything where you sort of talk to different systems where you need reliable background work or reliable process to process communication, um, it, it's kind of good at, at solving those problems. And yeah, and the, the core idea is like la- very lightweight, um, durability added sort of to the, if you come from a TypeScript world, the, the, the easiest way to think about this is like the promises. A lot of this is written like in like async await style. You make like a call to another system, you await the response and so on. And then around these like async await operations, you add a lightweight form of durability that helps you recover.
0: Awesome. And, and, you know, what are people currently using to solve these these types of problems? Like is it, is it just sort of... Certain patterns in their application are there other tools that help them with this or like what what sort of tools are people putting together to to solve this
1: yeah i I think um there's there's different ways that that folks approach this right now. I'd say a lot is just um would say not, not not solving that specific problem but um just trying to 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 work around it in a way trying to like um design applications in a very specific way so you can um, you can try and make certain certain pieces out in code and then just like retry forever until it goes through and just hope like everything else sort of cancels each other out, which sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. Um, sometimes folks use workflow engines for this. Um, they, I think this, this kind of problem making sure stuff happens, runs to the end, all steps get complete is kind of a classical kind of workflow engine topic, actually. It's just that there's, I think, a very big space where you do want this kind of behavior. But it's just not, it's not such a big and heavyweight sort of thing. It's maybe just a lightweight process that orchestrates between two other processes so that you don't actually want to pull in a heavyweight workflow engine. And that's when it actually starts. And you have to kind of come up with all of your own sort of transaction protocols and and, and sort of retries and deduplication semantics and so on. So I would say it's kind of a mix of both. Like if it's a sufficiently complex process, maybe you'll pull in a workflow engine. If it's kind of a lightweight process, you kind of try to build your own protocol. Um, maybe there's something in between where folks use like message, queues, SQS, Kinesis, Kafka, on. So on to sort of like schedule these tasks in a, in a, a more, more durable way but also that that kind of still involves a lot of like your own, um, your own design of like requests and how to t- duplicate them like how to tie different IDs and tokens together and so on so yeah all in all um, I would say it's a lot of like roll your own and this roll your own is I think tougher than it initially sounds like I, I always am surprised at the corner cases um um, that that come up that are are not that easy to to to, to spot in the beginning. I think that's why the role your own ultimately is is something that has many problems when when folks do it, and it, it's it's also something that increasingly more and more folks realize is actually very hard and try to avoid, and that they try to different uh, try to look at different solutions. So I think that's also part of why workflow engines recently have become more popular. And you can you can see this, for example, in the rise of popularity of step functions and so on.
0: Yep, yep, absolutely. So just to, like put it in. Um sort of an example everyone can understand. The example I think of, I think it's in your docs as well, is just like a checkout workflow on an e-commerce site, right? Where someone hits checkout and now you need to, you know, decrement the inventory. Maybe you need to process a payment, queue that up for an or like at least some sort of order record. Like you need to hit a bunch of different systems or databases or or things like that, right? To to make this happen. And like you're saying, you can just sort of like hit them in order in your application and like maybe wrap them in retries and sort of hope it works. And occasionally one falls through and, and you know, now you gotta like manually fix that or like now I think in the world I see, I see a lot of like step functions wrapping this around that, which has its own sort of, uh, you know, pros and cons around that sort of thing. I think that'd be like the workflow solution that you're talking about. You're talking about like The adding durability to this, what, like, what does that specifically look like when you say, you know, restate sort of adds durability to this, where does, where does that durability comes in? Especially like I I see restate integrates with Lambda, which I like don't think of as having durability or anything like that at all. So like, what does that actually look like to add durability to this, this process?
1: But yeah. So, so the way it works in Reset is you have you have basically two parts. Um, you have a like a small SDK, and you have a, a server component. You can think of the server component a bit like a, a something in between, like a, a, a log database work work very lightweight workflow engine. Um, some yeah, it's 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 a stateful com- component that maintains like a durable log internally. It also acts like a proxy for a lot of um, a lot of things that that happen in your application. So, for example, if you're um, again, the simplest way of using Restate and you're writing sort of an RPC handler and you want to say, okay, make that RPC handler durable. For me, you'd actually uh, register that at Restate and say, you know, Restate, you know, become the proxy for this one. Um, then, um, as you actually call this through through restate being the being the proxy, you you have this um, this connection between um, your RPC handler and, and, and the restate the restate server, and it, it basically tracks um, many operations. Like if you do an external API call, and you wrap them sort of in a restate operation, or if you make a, a call to another system um, through the restate SDK, it 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 wraps those operations in in like an, an internal sort of like. A durable journal entry that it that it commits but it also remembers sort of like how this connects to the to the application so it it, um it first of all records internally that this operation has happened and then it also understands how to um how to complete that operation uh when it's done and and send this back to the process so in case for example something fails in between kicking off the rpc and receiving the response or maybe if in the case of lambda you explicitly want to go away between sending the rpc and getting the response because you don't want to wait it understands like how to connect the response back uh complete that that promise and then give it back to to um like to a to a new invocation of the function and then say okay now continue from here now that we've um that we've completed that promise so in the end you program up in a in a sort of familiar synch- uh sequential sort of request response rpc or you know like make an api call await the response and reset is, is kind of the proxy for for this for these promises and, and sits kind of as a middleman in between records uh, the creation of them the completion of them and, and facilitates sort of the recovery in case something happens in between
0: gotcha so all that traffic is going through this restate server component type thing which i want to talk i want to talk about architecture for that and what that looks like so but all that traffic is going there it's routing it to the other services you have which could be lambda functions it could be you know kubernetes based service or or whatever it is just some sort of endpoint that it can then handle it and it's sort of tracking the status of those as, as it goes through there
1: yeah it's that's right it's not it's not it's not unlike um saying you know you're you're invoking other functions through an event like you know you can for example if you talk like uh uh, Lambda to Lambda, and so on. You can do that by enqueuing an event in SQS or something like that. It's not, it's not unlike that. It's just that you're not actually, you're not actually writing, writing it like that. You're not writing like, okay, um, I want to enqueue an event. I need to sort of understand, um, that I, I make sure I enqueue it only once. Um, I, I do enqueue it in case something fails. Like, I don't need to worry about the recovery and the sort of like, Deduplication that, that, that kind of connects the recovery and that enqueuing and all of it together. Um, because the, because reset kind of sits, sits a little different between the components. You, you don't actually explicitly like enqueue events and so on. It's really the, so sort of the SDK that kind of captures this creates, um, and, and kind of logs it to the system in the, in the background and always connects it like with the current execution and retry and so on to make sure things happen, um, things happen only once and don't get, don't get duplicated. Um, so in, in in the end, yeah, you can you can think of it. It's like an event driven system. It's like an event event bridge or SQS or something sitting between your applications. But um, in a, like you program it in a much more high level way, so that it in the end looks like yeah, you're really programming sequential RPC with like durable promises. Gotcha.
0: On that sort of, you mentioned Eventbridge. Does it have like the sort of decoupled producers and consumer type concept, like that, that you would see in Eventbridge, where like a producer might just fire something into Eventbridge and then whoever, you know, wants to be subscribed to that thing? Does it have that sort of concept, or is it more sort of intentional RPC or at least like, um, you know, message passing type stuff?
1: Yeah, it is, It is um, at least in the current version, more this in, in intentional um, intentional RPC um though with a like with a with a few like nice additions like you can uh, you can think of this as, as request response like one way kind of fire and, and forget but like with at least with libel like accepting and, and delivery semantics um you can can use this to um to also like schedule e- in events and invocations a bit like you can you can do with the event bridge that you say okay hey you know this is um. Maybe this is is an invoicing process that happens only once per month. So I wanna I wanna schedule this for the next month, and then when this happens, let me schedule it again for the next month, or something like this, or just on a periodic timer or so. So it's um it's it's not a classical pub sub, I and mean, there is no reason for us to not expose that at some point. But at least at the moment, it's not a it's not a pub sub in the way of here's a bunch of co- producers and a bunch of consumers. It's really more a facilitator for for really direct direct RPC style communication at the moment.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. And it is interesting. I see a lot of people use EventBridge for sort of that direct messaging, even though it's like not quite as much for that, and they just like don't other, don't know what other abstraction to use for that. But it's interesting because like it seems like Restate can replace a lot of other AWS primitives that I often use. Like I, I I thought of it initially as like, hey, this this sort of is a Step Function replacement. But it also sounds like S Q S probably using less of that if I if I have something like this. A um, vent scheduler, like you're saying, if I need more like dynamic scheduling, you know, do this in 15 minutes or three days or at this particular time, like I can do that with, um, with restate. So like it replace, even like some of the DynamoDB streams usage I use, like where often I have sort of like the dual write problem, right? Where you want to like write a record to the database and then. In queue a message or do something else and you can either do that in your same process which is kind of finicky or you can write it to the database and then process it asynchronously with dynamo streams or whatever change data capture but now restate can sort of help help handle that specific issue
1: yeah yeah i think i think that's right and the i mean the way i would think about it is the following right like so many of these primitive exist because there are so many different sort of Different challenges you have in like in a distributed application. And I mean distributed application doesn't even mean like fancy distributed. As soon as you have your own process and you're talking to one other process and maybe a database, you have a distributed system, right? Um and you're you have a lot of the of the problems already, right? And there's so many classes of problems. You just mentioned dual-write problem, right? Then there's the um there's the 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 problem of, you know what, like for um So the, the, the item, make, making sure you have like item potency, making sure you, um, you even have like, uh, like, um, recovery. There's the, the issue of like building circuit breakers and so on. Um, I think so many systems exist. And then there's the, of course, like uh, sender and failure decoupling, right? If you, if you want, if you're doing an operation that takes longer on the receiver side, you absolutely don't want this thing to be completely lost if the connection sort of breaks or the sender fails or the receiver. This fever goes away uh, in between. You really want them. You probably want to decouple all of those things, and because there's so many individual things you actually need to worry about. I think there's so many products and so many solutions. Right? And one of the ideas of reset was to so, like I take a step back and, and look at this in and in just in a slightly more fundamental way, like what is really the thing that, that 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 causes so many of these issues, and then build like a very sort of broad, broadly usable sort of parameters for that. And and I think because of that, it kind of like says, okay, like if you if you use it, you probably need a bit less of that and that and that and that and that because it, it helps actually with a bunch of problems, not just like with one problem.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I'm sure you've paid attention to this space better than I have because I mostly know sort of step functions. And if I could sort of co- compare and contrast step functions with restate, it would be restate gives you, lets you sort of stay in in your, you know, typescript land or Java land or whatever your programming language of choice is more when you have these sort of distributed things going on, rather than if you're in step functions, you might say, Hey, there's this first step, it's going to do something and it's going to throw an error or throw some sort of result. And and you're sort of kicking between your programming language, maybe in a Lambda function or something else. And then, and then back to like more like an infrastructure is code or, or some sort of DSL for like processing through the states. So that would be like the difference I'd say between restate and and step functions. What about uh, some other ones I hear about, like like temporal? Came out of Cadence. Is is temporal like in the same category as restate? Is it is it a different type of thing, or like how does that sort of compare contrast?
1: Um, yeah, I think that, that that's interesting. There's definitely it definitely is uh, in, a, in in a similar category as in um, and temporal is a adorable execution framework. I think that's how they you at least used to call themselves also for for a long time um reset definitely um durable execution is a core part of what it of what it does um i think reset t- takes a bit of a different approach because it doesn't doesn't look at okay here's a here's a durably executed workflow and now you, you try to connect everything to that but it it really tries to take more of a you could say microservice architecture approach or yeah even even a slightly simpler approach to that where it's not specifically about building workflows it's about building like durable event handlers um, durable rpc handlers um, stateful rpc handlers like there's a component that actually lets you like attach state directly to the handlers and like keep that sort of um transactionally consistent with the like with the invocations and um i think it gives it a a bunch of like different characteristics than than Temporal, and while if, well, I think there's uh, there's there's like some some overlap. Um, I, th- I think Reset really is is a, is, is, a, is a bit more more general and more towards the like you know g- general distributed applications rather than like in the specific workflow the specific workflow category. I mean, that being said, um, you, you you just said that you compared mostly to step functions. You know, I, I think that's a that, that's actually a great category because. Um, like to my mind step functions is also it's like workflows but it's a little it's a little bit more you you don't you don't think of step functions necessarily as just like the long running sort of workflows for days with like human tasks in the middle you can also use that for like fairly like low latency and fast orchestration tasks and so on right like and i think that's also kind of a category with that reset is in and more it's not just heavyweight workflow it's also like very lightweight fast distributed coordination orchestration
0: so you might use, you might reuse a restate um, do you call it like a workflow or like what do you call like a a, works, uh, a restate if I have a handler that does that uses that what, what would you call that? um it's, it's actually interesting. we're We're still debating what's the best way to call it at the moment,
1: but just call it like a a, a durable handler.
0: Processor. okay so if i have if I, I might have a durable handler that that calls a bunch of systems, but that could still be in the synchronous path of of a request from a client or something like that 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 goes through a bunch of different things. I could still get a, uh, a a synchronous like HTTP response back from from my client sometimes when using Resate.
1: Yeah, um, that, that's right. So the so the uh, the individual operations on Restate, like we're we're paying a lot of intent, attention to building it in a way that that the that they are quite fast. Like take at least very. Uh, very, very low latency. So when you, for example, have um, d- different processes, even if they both run run on restate, and you're, say, so you're kicking off one one handler by an RPC call from the outside, you're making this call, another one, and so on. You're waiting on a response to get back, call another one. Like it's it's in the order of like milliseconds. Like every time you're you're, you're hitting the different the different processes, it's actually built to be like a very fast just append to a log, and that's it. Um and that, that allows you actually to do a bunch of steps um in the a bunch of steps still in the in the synchronous in the synchronous path, um which is yeah, which is really where we where we want we want to see this this thing go because if you actually have this ability to if you have this ability to add workflowish style durability to to handlers with low latency, you actually move a lot of things that are sort of not possible to um where it's not possible to use workflow engines for them because they, they tend to just take too long, right? Um, you actually make it possible to use that, and you all of a sudden have a big class of 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 um, of, of, of use cases of um, of type of patterns where you can all of a sudden benefit from this like very very nice tool that makes a lot of these problems just go away that you couldn't before because um, it was like latency prohibitive to use them those type of tools. So maybe one interesting example is. Um, it's um, so the one that we also um, that they were, they we're also using on, on, our, on our website or in the blog in the blog post is this uh, this classical step functions demo like the holiday reservation where we have we have a you have a process that that um, it takes care of like orchestrating everything talking to like flight reservation card booking hotel reservation and so on also implements all the control for like what if something goes wrong um implements the Saga pattern like actually in the end and under under the the previous steps in case an, an error occurs, and you can you can actually run this um, like in in a, in a synchronous response path. Like assuming at least every individual service is reasonably fast and responding, then like the restate component adds very moderate like latency overhead to to this.
0: Yep, very cool. Okay, so I want to know more about. I think you call it the restate runtime. But basically like the server component that's that's handling this this flow between that you're you know serving as a proxy, handling the durable state and, and things like that. Like what is what does that component look like? Right.
1: So the the, the server component, just to quickly recap, is is the one that that kind of sits up as an as, as an intermediary between the all between all the different points. And it's the one that's responsible for making sure that you can actually program um sort of dis- distributed like distributed programs that that execute recover from failures in like an almost simple sequential RPC style say so kind of pretending failures don't happen you can embed the control flow the failure handling flow just just like that that's actually in, in a way the biggest difference also to to step functions if you if you wish right like and on the step function side you basically go and say every individual bit that you um that you where you, where you let's say care about um but let's say between two parts where you, where you care about like fa- failure handling and say, okay, once, once this part is completed, like I have to make sure it doesn't get re-executed and, and, and I need to, to sort of like have the results of this durable committed before I'm starting the next thing. Um, every time you have this, you kind of pull it apart into different pieces and, and, and kind of orchestrate it with, with. Something like a step functions flow across it. And in, in reset, you don't do this. In reset, you basically just write the control flow down and let like the durability of the individual steps take care of it. And the runtime is the, is the piece that sort of sits as a proxy or sort of sits in the background and sort of accepts the stream of, um, sort of, of, of messages, um, that, um, that like facilitate the communication that sort of like persist the, like the, the creation of the promises and so on. Um, what it looks like is, when, when you use it yourself it looks like a just a single binary that you that you bring up it's actually fairly fairly compact you just like start it, it has it has everything it needs in there um a log like a state storage engine um sort of registry for uh, for schema functions communication and so on so it's a fairly complex bit com- uh, compact bit um, we it maybe it feels a little anach- anachronistic but then at the same time it doesn't I think there's a bit of a swing back into of um Components being built that way, like from everything is just a set of custom resource definitions on Kubernetes, we're going back to like okay, things actually are sort of like standalone binaries that that do their thing without requiring a hundred other things. So Reset is also that. It's like it's a simple thing. Um, you start it, it it runs there, almost like a like lightweight sort of database, and then uh, in your applications you embed like the simple SDK, almost like the database client. You connect to it, and um, <clears throat> then it kind of acts as your proxy or broker uh, for the communication. Um, that's kind of how it, how it works. So in, in, in that sense, it's not, it's not actually wrong to think of it as it kind of takes the place of maybe the SQS queue between your services, or it takes the place of like the, the step function coordinator. But what it looks like internally is it has a very specific architecture. It's a, it's a lock, it's a lock based system with sort of an, an, an engine that sort of asynchronously interprets commands, materializes indexes over the log. And, um, yeah, and, 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 and handles, handles sort of the net network communication, the, um, the invocations, event dispatch, um, and all that. It, um, I'm always trying to, to, to find like simple, simple ways to, to compare it, but you can, you can think of it a little bit as it's it's a log. It's a bit like a, like a Kafka or Kinesis log with sort of an event processing application built into it that works on the events on behalf of your application and then basically only talks to your application um, like in a, in, a, in a very sort of high level way, as in okay, I've I've done this for you. I've got a response here for you based on that, and it kind of keeps sort of the ground truth of everything that's happening in this like log and command processor. And that really is kind of how also the like the simplicity of the um, of the correctness model how, how it happens because it kind of makes the application mostly um, mostly just say what should what should happen and let, let the sort of command interpreter make it or the, the central log make it happen for you and then sort of like listen to the response um for that and that that gives you this um this sort of like nice correctness out of the box uh, experience
0: okay sounds good so trying to understand it and i definitely don't know as much as about distributed systems as you but you've got this server component where it's it's sort of re- receiving these rpc calls or maybe even like state setting calls right like if i'm a if i'm a handler i can sort of set some some context or 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 just like little bits of state for that particular function it'll handle that it's going to persist it to that that durable log you have also maybe like some materialized data like in i believe like RocksDB, just to make that like a little more queryable and stuff for resuming stuff and then also proxing that to two different other handlers you have am i understanding that correctly
1: yeah um yeah that's right let's um let's maybe let's maybe take uh, let's maybe walk through this as an as an example um and um and really show what 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 happened in the runtime that then we can also sort of explain a little bit why it is 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 built the way it is so let, let's just let let's maybe take this like holiday reservation holiday booking sagas example for uh for a moment um so if we're if we're the the the, the general sort of like the the main function that that has the workflow that talks to the different the different services right? um so we're we've been sort of executed proxy through restate so restate um, restate hasn't hasn't sort of event in the log that says okay well, I want to run that want to run that workflow that that part's not too unlike I think how most other workflow engines work like they they write it in the writer ahead log so so restate kind of dispatches that um, and then as as you go through it as as for example the code says hey I need to um, I need to, 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 to now talk to the, say, flight reservation service first. Um, it, it basically streams an event in the background to, to that server component. And the first thing that server component does is it it actually appends the event. And then it has sort of established the ground truth. Okay, we've reached that part of the program. We've, we've uh, sent this, this bit. Um, so it, it, first of all, is just like a very sort of cheap append to the log. But what happens at the same time is that there's like an... Um, a process that that um, so indexes these events. It establishes the relationship that this event that we just depended is actually part of the. It's kind of related to the original uh, workflow execution because it's an event that came came out of this, and it sort of attaches this to a recovery journal for that um, for that uh, for that um, workflow function for that handler. And um, anytime something goes goes wrong. Um, it it can actually use that to to reinvoke it and say okay um you know every, like do, do your thing again but when when the next time the promise gets created it actually sees like from the recovery log oh yeah that promise actually is already there um, it might not be completed but at least it's there so let me actually not send this again because I already have that um at the same time at some point also the other service is going to respond with an uh with an event that completes it and then the like the uh, all of these are really just like they're they're meant to be very fast appends so we actually get that durability um very fast but then it's sort of again indexed into okay this is a completion for um for this specific uh, original rpc event so let me kind of attach it to there like augment the original sort of promise with its completion result failure or success and so on and then um if it's still executing just you know, forward it to that process, otherwise keep it there and the next time it executes, it can be sort of resupplied as a completed promise to the, um, to the executed um, the executed function. So that's, that's basically what we, I would say the most, that those are the two, three most important pieces we have in the systems. Like this log built for like fast depend, fast durability of operations, RocksDB is more like an, an index that sort of tracks the relationship between events. And if you wish like state, um, that you attach to a handler. It's just like a specific sort of event that then gets sort of attached to the identity of, of that handler, a certain key. Um, RPCs are really specific forms of event that get attached to like an, an, an execution of, of a handler and so on. Um, that's the, that's the second part. And the, the third part is, yeah, the, the component that sort of manages the communication with the services. Um, maybe a, a, a quick, note on, on, on why did we build it that way so in, in theory we could have also built it as in you know we use kafka as a log or kinesis and then we, we store things in, in dynamo db and so on there's um there's a bit of a i think maybe, maybe let's uh, take, take a step back and, and look what that means like from a distributed systems perspective if you actually do it like that you Let's just take, let's just take, let's say Kafka and DynamoDB. We actually piece together those two systems, what you ultimately now have is you have actually two logs involved. You have Kafka as a log and then DynamoDB, every database's core truth is its own write ahead log. Um, that's where it, that's where it records things that it, that by its definition have happened. Now, if, now, if you say, okay, I'm, I'm writing an event to Kafka and to DynamoDB, you have, you have a problem now. You have actually two logs that you need to keep in sync and you need to kind of implement, if you wish, at least a poor man's transaction coordinator that says, okay, you know, maybe after I've been pending to Kinesis, if I crash, I have to like look at this and see, have I moved it to the other system or not? Like, what if I do find something in that other system and not here? Like, you're, you're already at the, I would say the, the, the core of, where most of the distributed systems complexity comes from, like keeping different components in right? The beauty, I think, of the way that we've built this with just like one log and everything else is sort of an asynchronous process that follows this log is, is exactly one ground truth. Like something is appended to the log or not. That determines by reset's perspective, did it happen or not? And everything else is a view that follows. And it's kind of very easy to, to let, let that view follow consistently, especially if it's like the same component that manages it. And, and that, that actually gives us gives us two very very nice characteristics. Um, first of all, the it's it's fairly it's a fairly easy thing to make, sh- make, make it correct um, because because the wh- whenever you have different systems you need to keep in sync, you're gonna hit so many corner cases over time where you need to like have, have more a more elaborate protocol ideas with that. We we don't actually have that. Like it's 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 fairly simple to get it correct. And and one of the interesting outcomes of that was that like fairly early versions of that system, um, when we like really stress test them with with very heavy um, sort of like chaos monkey style tests, like had complex logic that cares about consistency and correctness and just like shoot things down, introduce disk crashes and corruptions. Like it's fairly hard to actually make a trip up for a very early for for it's, the early stage that it is. It, it's fairly resilient, um, and. Um, the like that, that that's one of the like really nice outcomes the second one is it's also it's also fairly easy to operate because it doesn't run the risk of like okay what if like the log actually executes faster than like DynamoDB can have can can take the inserts or so or or like yeah what what if this one has a compaction and and then the other one has one at a different time and they kind both stall each other out and so on like it's it's fairly because we care so much about the the, the system being easy to operate like this architecture lends itself to that very much it's it's an it's an architecture that has comparatively few knobs and sort of things that can can drift apart from each other. That's what we liked about it a lot. And that's why I decided to do it that way. Okay, that was a very long speech.
0: <laughs> no, that was great. And like, yeah, just thinking as like a user of a piece of open source infrastructure, if I know I have to go set up, you know, not just this infrastructure and, and start running this binary, but like, you know, send in this, these credentials to this um, DynamoDB table and, and this Kafka, uh cluster and all that sort of stuff it's just like okay now i'm managing three things and i don't i don't really have that much control over how they interact it's it's um yeah just nicer to to have that more in that single binary um, type situation exactly because um maybe we haven't actually said
1: this before like the the way we really want to get this get the system to use this is uh, we're, we're working on a managed a managed service and of course we want to have a service that's easy to operate for ourselves but we really also want to um we're we're publishing this as as an as an open source system. We want folks to be able to, to to run this if you want themselves in their at least in their own accounts and so on, if they need to, with um in an easy way, like not in, in in a way that doesn't require too complex operations. And that maybe that's something we we sort of um learned a little bit from our previous work on like in the sort of space flink and Kafka and all the other um systems that that are connected to that. It's it's very easy to to get into trouble even if you if you think a system is like super well behaved there's just like every system in itself makes sense but there's just different assumptions they make every time they interact if just slightly different intervals in which they refresh their credentials slightly different ways in, in which they like use their use their like um, w- when they have their burst and how they react to burst and so on how they can stomach that that it's very easy to get those combinations of if you combine many complex systems, you have something that is very easy to, to trip over, even if each system in itself is actually fairly well-behaved. And that's kind of what we wanted to get out of, of that situation. That's why we're putting it into one.
0: Yeah. Based on your experience with, with Flink and especially with Flink for a long time and now talking to customers, I'm sure with Restate, like, are you seeing a change in how people, like, are people moving more towards, hey, I just want to manage service that, that does this for me? Um, even if I like, if I have that safety of open source, but like most of the time, I want that managed service. Have you seen a big change over the last, you know, since I think '09? You're working on Flink, or what? What does that sort of market look like?
1: Um, yeah, it's, th- that's actually a good question. Um, so definitely, the acceptance of managed services is is way up there, and also the like wanting to use a managed service. Um, absolutely for 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 flink when we started was all prem in the end it was so many folks asking for for managed uh for managed services um there's not there's not such a thing as the managed service right like there's so many different paradigms there's like you can have a multi-tenant managed service and that, that is shared by many users you can have a managed service that has like dedicated resources and, and has an isolated process and important you can have a managed service that runs some part in maybe the vendor's account and then keeps a lot of maybe parts of the control plane or some very low level storage primitives and then runs the the sort of sensitive parts in the user's account to, to make sure like the the let's say at least the unencrypted data or like the direct uh, connection to to their application services and so on doesn't leave their account and so on. like there's this wide wide spectrum so um, it's kind of—I'd I'd, say—it depends on what kind of user you talk about. The, 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 the long tail is, is more on the like really fully fully managed side of things, but there's still a lot of big use cases that, that need at least the dedicated clusters. That like these clusters to run in their own accounts and so on. So like building to make this make this easy and possible is—I um, don't think it hurts to be honest
0: yep Yep. okay i want to backtrack to something you said a while ago because it it was in my head so you're talking about the process of what's happening on the server like if i want to call some other service you know it's gonna sort of write that log event and then you know when that service responds at some point that'll have a different event and and mark that do so does that mean like if i'm using restate like sort of both services have to be sort of using restate for that sort of thing like can i use restate around calling an external api that i don't have control over or even calling out to like Postgres or something like that—that's not going to be sort of fully integrated into that Reset ecosystem. Or is it more just like internal RPC type type stuff? Is, it, is it like that's the core of what you're you're doing there?
1: Yeah, I think I think you can use it for, for all of those things. I, I would say the the the, the, the simplest thing is. Um, I mean, you can, can make it as simple as a one-step workflow, right? You, let, let's say you're, you, have, you have something that comes, maybe it's something you can schedule for, for later or so, that's why you're putting it through a system like, like Restate, and then it does exactly uh, one thing, it wants to commit that, it wants to acknowledge sort of that this happens, um, done. So you, 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 can, you can use it for, for that. Like Restate allows you to, um, to basically wrap like any type of API call in, like, in a side effect instead of a managed promise if you wish. Um, and and then that's that. And I I think the a lot of the like simple examples kind of look like that. You have one durable handler with a bunch of calls that it makes, in you know, or to or other services. That, that that is it. And that that's that's totally totally fair. Um, the and I think the interesting part is if you if you start going beyond that. If you say okay, hmm, maybe this 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 one handler I I, I have is. Um, had, there's there's a bunch of other other sort of like services that it needs to s- interact with. Let, let's say that uh, you have that example of the checkout process, right? It it calls maybe maybe a maybe an, an inventory service to, to to decrement the counts. It calls um, a, a, a payment service and so on. And um, when when you start when you start saying okay, hey, I'm, I'm not just using Restate for this for this one thing, but I'm also using it to sort of like um, i'm uh, uh, also using it as part of um, not just the checkout flow but let's say also the inventory service and so on then you you kind of get a few additional benefits because now you have sort of both both sides uh, managed by restate and that that means you you get um kind of get exactly one sort of communication between them or think like you know returns item potency all of that um just completely for free you can you can actually pretend they they, they talk in a, in a in a completely like reliable um exactly one's manner because yeah because both both ends are on the a proxy the same system and it can kind of work it's internal magic to make to, to make this nice you don't have you don't have to do this it's it's completely valuable for one service but like when you put in a few on onto, onto it a few more services um you get you get a bunch of additional benefits and um i think that's that's where that's where over time i i think people like to go
0: yeah okay tell me about that Exactly once and how that works, because I know like there's you know there's some blog posts on hey exactly once is impossible and things like that. like what do you sort of mean by exactly once and how does restate uh, solve that that particular issue?
1: yeah, 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 so I, I think that's that, that's good like exactly once is a very controversial term. um I think exactly once in terms of like make let's say making an invoking a service exactly once is not something you you can realistically achieve like by laws of of logic, math and so on. Um, but that's also not what you really need. You need you need the effects of the service to happen just once, right? Um, that's kind of what I think exactly. Once always has been about when when you talk about in stream processing or like even in like in, the, in, the, in the context of database transactions, you never talk about kicking something off only once. You 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 um, you talk about it materializing its effects once and only once, right? And um, it's often achieved like by a combination of sort of like retries and item potency or, um, or like some transactional commit protocol on the bottom, which at least has one retry and item potency step as well in it usually. So so th- I, th- I think that's, that's really what it's about. Like if you have two services, one is sort of sending its event, um it's important to understand like the uh, the, the sending from one ser- of an event from one service to the other is anchored like in the durable execution in the deduplication and and so on. so when this is sent it actually goes as an event in the background to the restate server which appends it to the log and then it has this like single write that acts both as okay, we've created the promise but also we have work to do here, namely like send that message to another service so we've um so we've kind of established an um, a, an, an, endpoint that, that sends an event that deduplicates on retries. Like if that handler fails and recovers and goes so there and says like, okay, you know, I have actually created that promise. So creation and sending happens in a, in a deduplicated manner. On the, on the receiving side, it's the same thing. Like you receive it. Um, you invoke the handler. You might invoke it multiple times. The failures happen in between there, but every time you kind of invoke it, you, you understand the effects that already happened. You kind of give the completed promises for these effects back. And and eventually you, you you conclude it. So what you will not ever see is the event being sent out twice or resulting in sort of like two individual invocations that don't share its, each other's partial progress. I think that's what it boils down to in the end. And that's I think really all you care about. That that in, in the end it it kind of means that like one or two invocations happen as part of like a retry strategy. It doesn't matter. It, it matters whether you apply the effects.
0: Doesn't change. Doesn't change the result.
1: Yeah multiple times
0: yeah yeah very cool okay and then um so going back to this runtime thing if i have this server um am i running like multiple instances of it for sort of like replication and, and better like durability and things like that what is like what does that sort of look and for scalability as well like what what's a common configuration am i running three five seven of those or what's that look like
1: yeah that's a great question. So at the moment you're running one because that's that's the, uh, the the version that is out there. We're we're working on the distributed version. Where I mean I think you would eventually run as whatever your load sort of requires. Um, I would say starting with three, one in 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 an, in each availability zone of a of a typical region. Um, so that I think that would be like what we would probably recommend in the in the future if you run want to run it yourself. At the moment. Um, it's it's one process. It it basically persists. It's log durably by writing it to something like EBS. So um, the simple thing you can use right now is is um, we actually have a, have a few tools around this like CDK um, constructs and so on that would basically deploy it exactly as like an know, EC two instance with an EBS volume or um, just saw the release of like Fargate EBS support and so on like a Fargate task with an EBS volume and so on. Those are like perfectly fine um, fine deployments. Um, it actually doesn't really matter even if your task is um is that long lived as long as it, it really only matters if the log survives. like the log has to be durable, that's why it has to be an EBS. Like wherever you run the rest doesn't doesn't really matter. And in the future we want to take care of that replication ourselves for a few reasons, like I mean cost effectiveness is one thing, but the other thing is uh, like cross um, AZ durability. It's not something EBS gives you at the moment. So um and an S3 is too high latency to write. Still, the low no latency version is again only single availability zone, so also doesn't help there. So that's why I think we'll um, we're working to, towards our Lego log, log replication at the moment.
0: Gotcha. So in, in in some future where you're doing replication, does that mean you'd move away from EBS and do like more instance based storage, or would you still be using EBS and relying on some of those guarantees there? Like, I'm kind of curious on how those. Those trade-offs manifest for you know distributed systems builders like yourself,
1: yeah. Um, that, that's actually very interesting, a very interesting question. I think that I would say it depends just a little bit on on your on your risk appetite. it's I think it's very related to me to the question whether um, you should sync a log or not, right? Like if you don't f sync your log, for example, you're you're basically relying on on instance memory or so for the time being. Um, yep, let me, let me put it like this. Like what are the logs really for in a, in a modern architecture? The, at the end, you, you very quickly want to go to durability through something like S3 for the majority of your data. So you get latencies out of that in, in the like tens, hundreds of milliseconds, like hun, tens, hundreds of milliseconds if you go to the cross-AZ one. Like uh, the, the 99th percentile here really matters. So it's probably more like three digit. Um, milliseconds in, in in many cases. So, you, in a way, the most important thing you have to bridge is the latency until that point has come, and maybe a bit more because you don't want to, I mean, depending on how much you write, you want to amortize kind of costs into bigger writes, right? so, so you don't write like two small chunks. So you kind of have to bridge just like this small bit until you've gotten enough data and like enough of a latency window that you can flush it out to S3. This is what you have to bridge. This is what the replication is for. So, um, so is it's just like replicating to instance storage or even to instance memory good enough to bridge that, right? It kind of depends on what failure rates um, and what what kind of failure scenarios you assume. Um m- most of the time you'll probably be right replicating to, to memory. You'll probably be good replicating to disk. Um if you actually want to replicate to something like EBS, even in the small window, kind of depends really what class of failures you're you're addressing. Um one, I've, I've had this discussion a while ago with some Kafka people from that then I asked them like, would you would you have sync or not, and what is the what is the sort of the worst thing that you lose if you don't have sync? And I said the worst thing that we typically lose are the cases where not having usually matters. is somebody accidentally deallocating the entire deployment, like you know you run it on Kubernetes, even like with multiple sort of like failure domains and anti-affinity and so on, and you know. You don't ever you lose data because all of your AZs go down at the same time, but you lose data if some administrator unfortunately deletes the deployment because then everything goes away in the small window before you kind of can flush it out to the more stable storage. And and that's why it might for some people still matter, I think, to persist to something like EBS still because then you still get to defend against those scenarios. If you're kind of happy with sort of the the math around failure rates and you trust kind of your ops team to not take down all az deployments at the same time within the same second maybe you are okay with the sort of cost benefits of just replicating to memory um i don't i'm not sure if there's a one answer for all
0: yeah yeah it's a tough one like right on that edge there so is restate currently you know flushing stuff to s3 occasionally for for that more durable stuff and and getting stuff off just regular disk
1: um we're not doing that at the moment um but it's 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 something we're we're working towards too um which is incidentally also something why why for example we really like having having rocks to be in there because if you if you actually have a if you actually have a replicated log the sort of LSM tree design is actually a really interesting one for for storage engines right um because it it has this like Hierarchical immutable artifacts that are asynchronously merged It lends itself really well for like um, storage on something like S3 is good for immutable artifacts right? um, for, for something like that.
0: Um, so it's it's another reason why we'd like to start start that way. So, so you're flushing not just or like you might you might flush like the the RocksDB segments and things like that to S3 as as well as like the log segments. Is that what you're saying? Um, look, look, we might. Um, we're still in the in the
1: process of of developing this. It it could be very well that by the time we do this, it's not actually RocksDB anymore, but it's like a different sort of uh, a, a different storage tree and so on. But like con- conceptually, thinking yes, um, that's where we would move to. Yeah.
0: Yep. It's been fun seeing like the the sort of all the the S three stuff that's happening with with like data systems. Like, like I, I talked to the Warp Stream people recently and just what they're doing with S three and just like. How it's sort of changing data infrastructure in a lot of interesting ways, um, like you were talking about. Um, one thing I thought that was interesting too in the docs that I was looking. So you mentioned RocksDB is sort of your your state storage, but it's actually you can actually like query it via Postgres, right? It, you expose it like basically via Postgres. How does, what's going on there?
1: Yeah. So the um, so so RocksDB basically is the is our state index, but not just state, right? Like it's uh, I actually just like try to, try to emphasize this every, like what RocksDB stores sort of the relationship between all events in the end. Like here's an event that corresponds to this workflow execution. Here's an event corresponding to that RPC invocation of that thing on restate. Here's an event corresponding to that, um, like committed side effect or so to another system. Um, all of this is events that get appended to the log, but then indexed to sort open of, in RocksDB and the by making this queryable you can you you can find out a lot about like what's going on in your application like what's currently what's currently running um what who is who's kind of cooling who calling whom who is waiting who's sleeping who is um who's waiting on on some other function to kind of return right like that's the i think the real power you can almost like query the distributed call stack at least from the services that are on restate like if you have like a bunch of services on reset calling each other you kind of can almost Query the distributed really call stack between them, and, and it's not that you're sort of maintaining the synchronicity because it's just like an asynchronous index view, um, the whole thing. Um, so reset internally has a query engine based on Arrow Data Fusion, um, and um, but the 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 endpoint um, after uh, behind which we ex- uh, expose this actually speaks the Postgres Wire Protocol, so you can like use, uh, you can use a Postgres client to query it. Um, actually I actually haven't ma- mentioned this before like why data fusion makes sense for us because the, the server component is completely implemented in, um, in rust. Um, actually a big user of the Tokyo framework, which kind of fits very well with our philosophy. We have like this this, um, this log um, sort of single singular pander for the partition to the log it, it, it kind of fits the like the, the Tokyo programming model pretty well and um, being, being a rust sort of system, DataFusion just looked like a sort of promising Rust-based query, a Rust-based query execution engine that we connect to Postgres by, you know, making Postgres. Uh, sorry, that we connect to RocksDB by making RocksDB sort of um, a virtual table that that DataFusion can um, can scan and push certain predicates down to.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's that's really cool. And Do you anticipate that will be sort of that that Postgres you know compatible endpoint there? Will that be something that is only used for like sort of Occasional one-off hardcore debugging type thing, or would that be something where I might have a dashboard open that's sort of continuously refreshing and just showing the state of my services and traffic and, and things like that going across? Like, how often do you see that sort of uh, that used?
1: Uh, it's 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 a very really good question. So at the moment, the biggest user of this is actually our own tools. Like the the last version that we um, that you can actually find, I don't think it's actually officially published but you can actually find the release uh, the release artifacts already on, on like on github and our website the 0.7 version introduces a very very powerful cli that you can can use to exactly ex- examine the sort of status of services um like why is somebody waiting how long how long has it been waiting uh, for who is it waiting for and so on and um, that thing internally issues like a lot of queries to that to that to that system right that's um that's the biggest user of that so far. Um, you can you can use it to expose something about uh, about the state of your system in a dashboard if you don't um, do it in a crazy aggressive way, like you know issue thousands of queries per second, m- might actually work. It's not it's not at the moment optimized for for like production workload queries. It's really more for like debugging, analysis, introspection type workloads. Um, but it's, it's a very interesting question. We've seen this being so valuable and, um, yeah, that we, we might actually do more work on this in the future to like, make it, make it sustain bigger loads. It's to be, to be, to be seen.
0: Yeah. Yeah, even if you had like a sort of like a read replica one, it's maybe just like pulling down the S3 data. Maybe it's a few seconds or however long behind, but you can query it and not worry about messing with your, you know, the actual, the hot path of like these events getting appended and, and all that sort of stuff. And you, but it just like gives you a, a look at your system and what's happening. That'd be kind of interesting um, just to sort of see where that goes.
1: Yeah, that'd be very interesting. And again, like an LSM tree-based architecture that you sort of like asynchronously write into, it's actually great because you can then create like different, you can have a different consumer pulling these artifacts and like running a query engine over this and so on.
0: Um, Lots of things are possible, yeah. Yeah, I've seen other tools doing that, like like Rockset has, they call it like compute-compute separation, right, where they're just pulling those down into different compute instances so you don't have one query here messing with one query over there and, and stuff like that, so...
1: Yeah, hey, it makes total sense. I mean, Rockside is the folks that build RocksDB. so a lot of these things that we're thinking about, of course, they, they they're also also doing that. It just um like, kind of comes from from using RocksDB, yeah.
0: Yeah, cool. Let's let's talk about like where where sort of Restate is, both like as a product and as a company and things like that. So like, is, is it in a state like where I can go out and, and sort of use it um, and and start running stuff through it? Like, where are you at in sort of development um, cycle here?
1: Yeah. So. Um, it, um th- there's different uh, d- different pieces that are in, in different stages like we have web SDKs out there in typescript uh, JavaScript Java Kotlin um, that that are are there they're they're pretty much good to go. Um, there's a there's a, the open source runtime um, that that you can download that is it's usable but I would, I would just add that. It is. It is still under like sort of rapid development, and it um, it doesn't it doesn't mean it eats your data. It's like I mentioned, we're actually we're actually pretty happy with the reliability so far because I think that's like one of the things we get from this architecture that we have. That's sort of very simple, like single log paradigm. Um, but we'll absolutely go through a, a few sort of iterations of the storage formats and everything. So if you're, if you're using it right now, like be aware. You might have to run a migration script at some point in time. You know, when you when you upgrade, that's definitely a caution I, I would I would I would throw in. If you're happy with that, um, would be we'd be happy for you to check it out. Um, we're we're also working on a, on a cloud service which is in 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 pretty early stages, um, and we're um, we're looking for folks that that would be interested, like as sort of early early um, like design partners for that. Um, so. Open source, I would say, um, try it out as long as you're okay with like running migration down the road, um, manage service, talk to us.
0: Yep, absolutely. Okay, so you st- sort of stopped working on Flink in 2021. Did you, did you start on Restate right away? Or like, how long have you been working on, on Restate?
1: Um. It depends a little bit when you when you count, right? Like these uh, some of the basic thoughts of it we've been playing around for for a while, sort of in the back of our heads. Um, end of 2021, I left Flink. actually um, took a longer parental leave in between and I, st- I went really to work on restate in the second half of 2022. Um, we, we started by prototyping a lot the, I would say the actual restate development started kind of end of 2022 so a bit over a year ago
0: okay and and how big is the? you, you said we start working like how big is the current team working on restate
1: yeah so we're we're nine nine and a half people so not nine people and a and somebody is 50 um we're um yeah we're so we're, we're still a fairly a fairly compact team um because we're iterating a lot on the like on the fun, on the foundation still um which i think works great in a small team
0: yeah cool. Are you are you based all over the world? I know you're in Germany, I believe. Are are most people in Germany or I guess where 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 is the team based? So
1: I'm I'm based in Germany from the team. The team is built the team is based sort of all all around mostly So European time zones or or similar time zones at the moment. So we have some folks in the UK, um Italy, and South Africa, one person on the US East Coast. Um so somewhat somewhat all over the place, like we're working as a fully distributed company. But for the um like for the for the early days that we're in, we try to keep it in time zones that have enough overlaps so that when when big discussions are necessary, we can actually get um also in front of uh, like in front of the screen for a while or somebody might actually fly in and on relatively short notice and we do a workshop and so on. So that's what we tra- try to optimize for.
0: Very cool. Well, I just love, love learning about this. I love, you know, I love what you did with Flink and have followed you on some of that stuff for a while. So it's cool to see this new project. Uh, if people want to know more about you or about Restate, where should they go to find you?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, uh, the Restate website maybe is the, <laughs> is the best first place to start, uh, restate.dev. Um, we 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 do have a twitter account also restate dev um i think those were those are the places that that we usually uh, that where we usually share our stuff um we're i guess we're we're not young enough to have an instagram account or something like this but uh
0: (laughs) yeah that's all right i don't either so yeah uh my kids maybe someday so but yeah anyway like thanks for coming on the show i I love this stuff. I think it's I think it's super interesting and, and thanks for like walking through like what's going on in that in that runtime and some of the distributed system stuff. I think it's I think it's really cool. So you know, best of luck to you and the team going forward. Excited to to see this space continue to develop. Oh, um, awesome! Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thanks.